1: Tomorrow, the anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor, and somebody texted in and said, uh, "Tommy, FYI, a little local tie in: Archbishop Rummel High School's marching band is in Hawaii today to participate in the Pearl Harbor Remembrance Parade. Rummel Pride for those that went to Rummel, like Tim Zimmer. What is it? Raider Pride. Oh, okay. well, I went to Shaw. I wouldn't know anything about Rummel Pride. Yeah, but I right, well, good, well, good for them. Thank you, Dave." Stephen Bel- Melnick joins us now, our friend, Professor of Supply Chain Management in Michigan State, where he's done research in the strategic supply chain, cybersecurity, performance measurements, and supply chain design. We wanted to spend an hour talking about electric vehicles, EVs, and I would open this up to the audience right now on the Okunard Jeweler Talk and Text Line, 504-260-1870, because I know a lot of you have questions and we'll try to get them answered. Good morning, Professor. How are you?
2: I'm doing very well. How about yourself?
1: I'm okay, sir. Thank you. Um, I, I see more and more Teslas on the road. I know somebody that owns yep. one. Um, I did see this study, though, from Consumer Reports or a report from Consumer Reports that said electric vehicles have almost 80% more problems than gas-powered vehicles. Is that because the technology is, is evolving? Yep. Uh, what
2: you've got going on is a couple of things. First of all, you've got an evolving, changing technology. The batteries changing, you've got different platforms, different batteries. Plus, what's also compounding things is it's a lot more difficult to get repaired. If you have a problem with your car's engine, there's a garage, there's a dealer network that's available. We're still building the infrastructure to support the repair maintenance of EVs. And one of the problems that's going to make that challenging is that you have a product that's essentially still evolving. It's in the early stages of its life cycle. And if there's one thing we know about a product there, uh, you have a lot of problems because the technology hasn't yet settled down. You
1: know, I was looking at some some pictures the other day, just going through the phone, as we all do, and we got pictures from God knows how far back. And for whatever reason, I had a picture, a screenshot of two televisions that I was thinking about buying years ago. And it's amazing how much the price has come down. <laughs> and, and i was w- wondering if that's where the state of electric vehicles are today. where are almost with big screen TVs where the first one I bought years and years and years ago was like $5,000, you know, with the, the projection tube in the back and all that stuff or whatever it was. Now you can get a similar TV for like 300 bucks. It, w- electric vehicles, will it ever come to the point where um, they actually come down in price? Because that rarely happens with vehicles.
2: Well, it does. And the reason it rarely happens with vehicles is not only are you paying for the price of the vehicle, but you're also paying for the price of the network that supports the vehicle. So when you buy a car, you're not only paying for the car, you're paying for the dealership, you're paying for the fact that the dealership has to repair services in place. And so those things are bundled. But the point that you're raising is a good one. We will expect to see the price of the EVs come down and the reason it's going to but it has to have come down prior provided certain conditions are met and at the present i don't think those conditions have been met what are they
1: what are those conditions
2: okay first of all uh, the battery technology is not yet stable we're seeing new types of battery technology because if you think about it in most EVs the battery itself is a the largest component it's the heaviest component. Now, here you have the paradox. EVs are energy, use electricity. They're supposed to be more energy efficient, but yet a lot of the weight is in the in the battery packs. So, for example... Uh, Let me jump in for a second, down.
1: Professor, if I can, and that means sure. with the more weight you carry, the more energy it takes to move it. Accurate?
2: That's right. Okay. And so, what hap- for example, uh, if you look at a Mercedes-Benz, and you look at the GLC 300, which is their most popular SUV, and then you look at uh, the equivalent on the uh, EVs, it's about 1,000 pounds more. And that's really a function of the battery pack. That's so number substantial. One, you've got the that's, battery.
1: Like, that's like, what, a third or something or even more?
2: I'm not sure, but it's it's significant enough that, to the point that you're adding more weight, which means you're consuming more energy. So, Ted, so, I didn't mean to interrupt two.
1: you. Please continue on.
2: Okay, number two. You've got to get the issue of the uh, charging infrastructure. Uh, and on the charging infrastructure, we have three issues that we have to worry about. Number one, the extent of the network. Um, one of the things I'm concerned about, and I, the reason I know about this is in May and April of this year, I was I bought, I bought, was looking at getting a new car, mm-hmm. and I was seriously considering an,
1: an EV until these conditions came to me, and I was like, no, we're not going to do it. Wow. And so wait, you it, made that decision personally. Yes.
2: Yeah, well, because, you know a
1: lot about it. That, that says a lot to me, <laughs> but go ahead. No, really. I mean, who, if not, if you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, there's a couple of other issues we're going to pick up yet
2: okay. So first of all, you've got to get the charging network structure in place and that's still being built out. So for example, it's not as frequent as widespread as as going to the gas station. Number two, there's the upkeep the availability um except for tesla the other competing networks one of the things that you see talked about a lot on the internet when people talk about them is that availability some of the sites are down number three there's a currently we have multiple standards which means uh it depends and what work we're trying to see in the in the field is that companies in the united states are moving to the Tesla standard, which is known as the North American Charging Standard, the NASC, CS, CS. and for example, Mercedes-Benz has now indicated that it's in the twenty-four in the twenty twenty-four model, they will be their cars will be compatible with that charging network. And number three, you've got one more issue, which is charging time. Uh, when you and I go in to pick up gas, we Plan for five minutes, five ten minutes. When you go to charge an EV, depending upon how quick you can charge, and it's, you know, the configuration of the charging station, it can take you half an hour. It can take you forty minutes. And uh, one one of the things that really brought this to to bear to kind of made it really r- real to me was I was listening to a presentation done by a representative of the trucking industry who was talking about why they're hesitant to move to EVs, even though Tesla has introduced an electric truck. And what they pointed out is if you look at two long-haul scenarios, by the time you factor in the range, the charging times, uh, essentially you've lost a considerable amount of time. So what you're doing is just increasing the amount of time it takes to get products from point A to point B. And in our environment, that's important. So you've got the charging network. The third thing you've got to worry about is uh, the range. Uh, One of the things you read about is when you pick up the statistics and you see car companies say that our range is 320 miles. Well, that's under ideal conditions. Mm. So, for example, right now you're in New Orleans. Yeah, and what's the temperature right now in New Orleans right
1: now? About 58.
2: Okay. Uh, does it ever get down to around 40?
1: Oh, yeah. It was earlier earlier today. It was around 40.
2: Okay. So what happens when you hop into your car 51, and you get Professor, in?
1: just before the audience takes me to task. It's 51, not 58. <laughs> Go ahead.
2: They sound like my students. They're always willing to pick up my flaws. Absolutely, yep. Okay. So think about it if, if it's around 40. Are you going to turn on the, the heater?
1: Mm-hmm. That's or the air the... conditioner, I guess conversely, if it's brutally yep. hot,
2: right, and that reduces your range. Uh, in Michigan, for example, uh, I, I have a place up in Traver- uh, up in Elk Rapids, which is close to Traverse City. It's about a hundred, about two hundred miles from my home to that place. Uh, you take, let's say, a three hundred and twenty-mile range. You multiply it by point seven. You're assuming you're going to lose thirty percent of your range because of the cold weather. And what that does, it puts you to the point that you're saying, I'm really iffy, because I'm going to have to, I may have to stop just to be sure once. Whereas if I'm in a gas-powered vehicle, uh, and I have a 400, I have a 400-mile range, no problem, half a tank of gas, I'm there. So we've got range, we've got weather. Plus, you've got factors such as, you know, how fast are you driving? The faster you drive, the more energy you consume. So you put those things together, and on top of that when you have a product that's evolving one of the things that's interesting is not only do you see more teslas but how many people are willing to be guinea pigs apparently a lot well but most of the people who are buying them this is not their prime car Ah. for example because you see a ton of them on the
1: road professor right
2: Right, but they're not. I would argue they're not your prime car. For example, I was talking to someone on Monday, and she had told me that she had bought a EV, and I asked her, uh, "How are you using it?" And she said, "It was a, it was an around town car." And I said, "So if you'll go for a long distance, what are you going to do?" And she said, "We don't take the EV. So if you if you need a car, so." if you think about it if you need a car that's an all-purpose car my argument be, would be at the current time you would not be well recommended to buy an ev and in fact that concept that concern is now being echoed in the auto industry where they're finding out that the demand for their evs has fallen So, for example, I was watching something yesterday where they talked about the fact that um, there was a recent publication in the auto industry that said, if you're looking at a lightning 150 by four, that's essentially uh, the 150 electrified, Mm -hmm. there's over 200 days worth of supply in the pipeline.
1: Think about that. That means. Professor, let me take a break and we can pick it up here. We come back because I'm not quite sure what you're talking about, but you can explain it when we return. We're talking about electric vehicles. And look, there are no questions dumb on this because I'm going to ask the professor at some point to take me through what an electric vehicle looks like because I've never seen one. If you open the hood, what's under there? I grew up in a gas station. My dad owned a gas station, worked in auto repair for a long time. Internal combustion engines, I get vehicles, I get drive trains, differentials, all that I understand. All that electric vehicles, I do not, but we'll try to understand it. With Professor Steve Melnick, professor of supply chain management at Michigan State, done research in the strategic supply chain, cybersecurity, performance measurements, and supply chain design. I don't think he has anything against electric vehicles. I think he's saying it's just a little early in the process. We'll also talk about how would you develop um the the process the infrastructure etc is this the do the market forces just determine this Hi, are we putting a cart before the horse a lot of concerns and we'll address it when we come back tommy tucker glad you're with us the oakman heart jeweler talking text line 504-260-1870 i'll pass your questions along when we come back here on wwl we are talking about electric vehicles with Professor Stephen Melnick, a professor of supply chain management at Michigan State, where he's done research in the strategic supply chain, cybersecurity, performance measurements, and supply chain design. It's like a electric vehicle 101. Professor, before we went to the break, you had started to talk about something that I didn't grasp at all. So pick it up from there, would you please?
2: Okay. okay. What he had talked about before the break was the auto industry has cut back on their production of auto v- of EVs. And the re- and one indication I used to prove that was the fact that recently it was reported that in the auto in the auto press that there was for the electrified lightning F one fifty. Is that a model
1: number? Yeah. Is that what, you uh, make-
2: the, the, the Ford one fifty is their popular truck. Oh, okay. Most, most that's, popular truck in the United States. So that's the Ford F one
1: fifty electric model you're talking about, right? Right. That's the okay. lightning. Gotcha. Okay. so what they've so what they
2: have is over two hundred days worth of supply in the invent, in the pipeline, which means that they at current rates of demand, their inventory sitting at the dealerships is enough to support two hundred days' worth of demand. Mm-hmm. And in usually in most cases, we like to see between sixty to seventy days worth of supply. okay. so you've an indication that the demand's not strong and so what's happened is you see a cutback and that's consistent with the fact that what's happened is the people who wanted evs the people who could afford evs uh they bought them and now we're going on to a new marketplace and to address the needs of this new marketplace uh you have to we have to sell cars a bit differently
1: how differently
2: okay Uh, let, let me give you something to think about uh Sometimes academic research can be useful. <laughs> uh, uh, there was a study done some time ago where uh, a researcher at of Ohio State looked at how consumers, firms responded to innovation. And they said there's really five groups. There's the innovators. Do you have a friend that whenever a new piece of technology comes out, they sure. buy it? Yep. Okay, they're the innovators. It doesn't matter if
1: it's new, if it's shiny, they buy it. Yep. Then you've got the early adopters. Uh, let me jump in for a second, it, Professor. I think that's driving a lot of the Teslas that we see on the road. Would you agree or not?
2: Yes. Yeah, essentially, what you've got is the first two groups. You've got the innovators and the early adopters, the people who can afford to buy a car. It's not their primary car. Right. It's a that's secondary before, car,
1: right?
2: and they can afford to buy it, and they can they can take a bet. Then there's the early majority. These people are risk averse. They're very cost conscious. They're very um, data driven. Uh, these people look at things and say, you know, show me the show me the dollars, the savings. So and what you're saying people, there is
1: they don't they don't care if it's a Hyundai. They don't care if it's a yeah. a, a Kia, a Toyota. You show me the best value, the best bang for my That's buck, a, right?
2: Exactly. Okay. And so what they're looking at is they're saying okay if i buy an ev it's going to have a shorter range it's going to cost me more and i can't use it as my primary car and i've got to worry about new requirements such as range such as charge up time such as availability uh, i'll wait so what gotcha. you've got is people waiting on that and so then you've got your early majority and then you've got your late majority which are the people who are going to say, I'll, I'll, I, have, I have to even be more sure. And then you've got your laggards, who are going to be not going to do it. Uh, I'll give you a prime example of a laggard. In, a, in our household, I'm a computer geek. Mm-hmm. If there's a computer piece of equipment, I got it. My wife detests computer. She still insists upon writing her notes to her friends in longhand and sending them by mail. She's a laggard, and I made it in the most appropriate sense. Not everyone buys into it. So what's happened, and research has shown that there's a big gap between the innovators, the early adopters, and the early majority. In fact, one study pointed out that the first two groups are about 15 percent of the demand. Then there's this chasm. And so the rest of the people are sitting back and waiting. So that's what I think we're seeing right now when it comes to EVs. The price has got to come down. The range has got to improve. We've got to see uh, better reduced fueling, charging times, and we've got to see greater uptime availability of what's there.
1: What's on the horizon as far as, you know, when you look at data like you talk about computers and and the latest technology, uh, you know, sometimes with technology we're at an exponential rate of improvements. Where do we stand with EVs? Well, okay, imagine that you have an S, okay, and, and it's a stylized S, so
2: it has a flat lower part, it ramps up, and then it has a flat upper part, okay? okay? That's called the S-curve, and that's the product life cycle for technology. And the first flat part, the part that's to the left of the S, uh, that first flat part of the S, that's kind of the infancy. It says there's a lot of teething problems that have got to be addressed once they're addressed then you hit that curve that goes up at a 45-degree angle until it hits the upper plateau, which is there's a a performance limit. We're right now where that curve is, which means we're getting close to the product launching, but we're not quite there. So that means that when I look at the technology, my guess is going to be that within the next 5 to 10 years, we'll see many of the challenges associated with EVs, and the challenges are, Range, charging time, availability, weight, battery. Those things are going to be addressed fairly well. Once we get those issues done, then uh, the big car companies can use their scale to basically go full bore. But right now, those things are up in the air. Uh, Every day, it seems that when you look at the news coming out of China or out of research, it seems that there's a new technology for charging. Uh, I just read about that someone's proposing a char- uh, charging battery based on sand. So instead of using rare earths, we're using things which are much more common. Because one of the problems that some of the battery technologies have is that they're difficult to build and they're difficult to dispose of when you get to the end of the product life cycle. So, you know, so you what you're doing was that. If you look at that product life cycle and you say to yourself, where are we? We're at just as the thing is starting to take off. But In my mind, we're not quite there. And until we resolve those issues and until we ensure that a person who wants to have a family car, who wants to be able to go, let's say, 400 miles on a single charge and doesn't have to worry about running out of power, if that person can get it at a price approximate to the price of an ice, a material combustion, when that occurs, in my mind, we've turned the corner.
1: When it comes to the physics of this, you know, if you look at the shape of the new moon capsule, it's pretty close to the shape of the Apollo because physics being what they are, there's only there's only so many different angles, so many different things you can do. Compare and contrast that to EVs, if you will, Professor. If that question makes any sense at all.
0: We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s. It's over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch.
2: You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter,
0: and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly, beer imported by Crownland Port, Chicago, Illinois
2: It does what you're really asking is the following. let me restate your question. If we look at the traditional vehicle, what causes a lot of loss of energy? Well, it's the start up stop, and it's cooling and heating. How can we avoid cooling and heating? Well, we can change the design. we can you know basically do to a car what you do to a house. you know you double triple plane the the glass, you better insulate it uh so what you're dealing with right now is you're saying. As we look at the designs, the designs are fairly aerodynamic, and I think what we're going to now focus on is if we have if we're dependent on energy in the form of electricity to not only power the car, and one of the advantages of electricity is that it has it loses very little to startup. Uh, one estimate points out that a lot of the gas that you put into a car is really just used to get the car moving. That's not the case because in electricity, you almost have immediate feedback to the motors. So if you think of it, it's really how do we better insulate the car? How do we do it so that the car does not require as much energy to heat itself up to cool it in the winter or to cool itself in the summer? And those are things that are being looked at because if we can reduce the energy consumption combined with reducing the weight of the battery, which everyone knows is a concern, combined with ensuring that we've got an infrastructure to charge and we have an infrastructure for repair, once those issues get resolved then we start to see us, as I said before, turning that corner, we get people saying, "Uh uh-huh, it's now a viable substitute. And as soon as we can start to do that, we can get volume going up. And one of the advantages of getting volume going up is you can start to think about economies of scope, which means you can start thinking about reducing price. But don't expect it to be like what you see in terms of computers. Moore's law will not necessarily apply to computers.
1: What was that, Professor? Pick pick it up here when we come back. About Moore's law, you said? Yeah. It's one of the most powerful laws in computers. I will talk about it when we come back with Professor Steve Melnick. Interesting conversation. We'll pick it up here when we return. Also, want to get into market development, and if the market is left for this to, is left to its own forces to evolve, how does that play out? 938 Traffic Now, WWL. I have Tommy Tucker, WWL. Quickly back to Professor Steve Melnick, professor of supply chain management at Michigan State, talking about the uh, electric vehicles and their evolution and entry into the marketplace. Before we went to break, sounds like a new Netflix series, Moore's Law, but it's not. It has to do with computers and technological advancement, Professor.
2: Yeah. Moore was a guy who worked with Intel, and he came up with a law in the 1970s that said that computer power will double every 18 months and computer price, computing price will have every 18 months. So if you've looked at what happened to the computer in 1972, a computer which had 10 um, 10 kilobytes of RAM, a 10 megabyte hard disk, and could support some 16 uh, users would cost half a million dollars. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a question: How much would that system go for right now? And the answer is, you couldn't find it, because most even your most comp- most handheld computers are more powerful than that. Mm-hmm. So what we've seen is the fact that pri- power has increased consistently over time and price has fallen. But when it comes to cars, you'll see some reduction. But I think what you're also going to have to see is the fact you will see is the fact that offsetting those reductions are the need to provide infrastructure, which means you're going to have to pay somehow for the um power grid. you're going to have to pay somehow for the places to take your car to be serviced you're going to have to pay somehow for a place to take your car when it's bashed and to have it repaired because repairing an ev is not going to be the same task as repairing an ordinary car
1: professor in the time in the time we have left if you can as it relates to Uh, the development no 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 i I just wish i could talk to you for eight hours if you can compare and contrast the development, oil and gas, gas stations with uh, the the internal combustion engine yep. and compare and contrast with EVs and how that would develop. Are we getting a cart ahead of the horse here? T- take me through all of that, please. Okay. What you're really asking is the following question.
2: Is there a pattern to what we're seeing or is this new? And the answer is there is a pattern. Uh, go back to the 1910s. I wasn't around there. I can assure you, even though, mm-hmm. again, close to retirement, I was not around there. Uh, What we had is the fact that when Henry Ford started ramping up production, he had a problem. He was reducing the price and how to get people to buy more cars. Well, in order to get them to buy more cars, you had to give them gas stations. So he approached uh, Standard Oil, you know, John D. Rockefeller, and convinced him to expand, develop filling stations. Previously, when you got gas, you would go not only to your hardware store, but you'd go to the hardware store. Oh, by the way, let me buy a couple gallons of gas. Mm -hmm. So he developed a specialized filling station. Uh, Also, the other thing you had to do is you had to develop roads. So he convinced the government to invest in roads. Oh, by the way, if you're going to do roads... Uh, we have to know how to use the roads because I'm going to be traveling further. So he went to a company by the name of Rand McNally, which did atlases, and he had them develop road maps. And part of the road maps were symbols that drivers could use in order to see, you know, what direction, the type of the road, whether they were dirt roads, they were compacted roads, they were asphalt roads. And so we see the same parallel. If we're going to today's environment, we're going to see market for, we're going to see a combination similar to what we saw in the 1910s market forces combined with with public spending and where is the public spending going to have to take place on it's going to have to take place in issues such as energy delivery because we have a power grid that is essentially old it, it was developed in the 1960s uh, it re- It's it really needs to be reinvested in because what we're going to be doing is we're going to be putting a higher degree of demand on electricity. It's not only going to be used to power your kettle and your computer, it's going to be used to power your cars. And if we're replacing ice, which uses gas and petroleum and diesel with, a, with an engine that uses electricity, you've got to make sure that, there's enough electricity for it. So if you want to see a parallel, go back to the 1910s, and we're seeing the same type of movement take place now. That's one reason that when I, you asked me the question, where are we, that's why I said we're approaching that bend where we go from infancy to takeoff. And it's going to be a rec- a, not simply market forces by themselves, because investing in the energy system, Is not something the market force will do that's something government has
1: to do with everything you just said how far out are we from internal combustion engines going away or will they ever really go away completely
2: they won't go away I mean seriously there are certain applications where internal combustion engines are really the best Uh, under current conditions if you're a long-haul trucker I'm gonna hate to say it but internal combustion engines are just they give you greater range they give you less downtime. They're just, if, you're, if your goal is to get from point A to point B in the shortest amount of time, which is what we want from our logistics system, then you're gonna, we're, ICE makes a lot of sense. But in terms of you and I, I think it's gonna start to see in the next five to 10 years. And why do I say five to 10 years? Because given the rate at which things are changing, we're gonna start to see that we're gonna pick on a battery technology. We're going to start to see some of the problems, challenges that are limiting ice uh, sorry EVs be addressed. And as soon as that takes place, then the test I use is if a family of four people wants a daily driver that they can also use to go on a vacation of let's say three to four hundred miles in a day, if they can seriously consider EVs because they're equivalent. To almost equivalent, in terms of going out in the road, charging up, etc., to a nice. As soon as you get to that condition, we've turned the corner.
1: Professor, I appreciate your time. I hope you come back. And I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I'm just full of questions, and I got a, I got a lot more. So we have to talk to you again. All right. Take care. I enjoy doing it. Thank you, sir. I appreciate your time, Stephen Melnick, professor of supply chain management at Michigan State. I hope we enlighten you a little bit about electric vehicles. We're going to continue to talk about it. It seems as though somebody's got to go first when it comes to infrastructure. And as far as the electric grid, if it's going to be up to the government, that's going to cost a lot of money. So we'll continue to talk about it. When we come back, we'll talk to Newell Norman. Uh, Governor John Bell Edwards, I think, is in studio with him right now. We'll see what they're going to talk about and more. Tommy Tucker, glad you're with us. Back in a flash, WWL.